This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Well hi Anchor, my name is Brad Koneman. I'm one of the pastors at Anchor Church and today is Compassion Sunday, which is one of my personal highlights of our calendar year. My wife Catherine and I have been supporting the work of Compassion uh, for most of our marriage um, for the last 12 years. We have two sponsor kids. We've got Gindier in Colombia, who's 19, who loves soccer, who wants to be a graphic designer. We've been supporting him for the last 12 years. And more recently, uh, we've been supporting Jessica, who's a seven-year-old girl in the Philippines, and she's the same age as our daughter, Eva. Last year at Compassion Sunday, uh, our church family sponsored 18 children in the Philippines at our partner project in Cebu, releasing 18 children from poverty. That means that now our anchor community supports 72 children in the Philippines and a total of 133 kids globally releasing them from poverty. And today we've got 35 new kids that are looking for sponsors. Um, And so we're really excited to have this opportunity to prayerfully commit them to God and consider how we as a church community can uh, love them using what God has given us. Today, as we open God's word, my hope is that we will see God's heart for the poor, his character of love and justice and compassion, that we'll see how God has acted in the person of Jesus to bring his justice and to bring freedom for the oppressed, and how he calls us as his people to love as we have been loved. This is really a a core part of our discipleship journey as we're learning to love and live like Jesus. God has given us a clear biblical mandate to care for the poor, and today we've got an opportunity to respond to that. Uh, So I'm going to pray for us as we hear God's word, uh, that he'll be working in our lives as well. Let's let's pray. Let's pray together. Yeah, Father, today we ask that you would help us to encounter your heart of love and justice and compassion, that we would experience your liberating grace, and that you would empower us by your spirit to love some of the world's most vulnerable people, uh, to love our neighbours as ourselves. And we pray this as in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, according to UNICEF, there are 663 million children who are living in poverty. That's one third of all kids around the world in poverty. Now, children as our most vulnerable global citizens are disproportionately affected by poverty. They, many of them lack basic food and sanitation and shelter and healthcare and the education that's required for them to survive and thrive as global citizens. 663 million children in, in poverty and every single one of them matters to God. Because all of them, all of us have been made in God's image. On page one of the Bible, we read that God created humanity in his own image. And this concept of the image of God has been a revolutionary contribution of the biblical worldview to human thought. In the ancient Near Eastern context in which the Bible was written into, uh, kings were considered as gods, but certainly not women or the poor or slaves, but according to the Hebrew worldview, all people were marked 
with divinity. We all bear the image of God. And that means that it's not just the rich and important, the rich and just the powerful that are important, but everyone matters to God. And this concept of the image of God is foundational for biblical justice. It means humans are different to animals. In the animal kingdom, predators eat prey, and that's just the circle of life. Apparently, uh, mother pandas normally give birth to twins and they'll discard the weaker twin and just raise the stronger kid. Um, and that's, we don't think that's unjust, that's just survival of the fittest. But we feel something different when a powerful human ruler oppresses the vulnerable in their kingdom for their own gain. When we see police brutality against African Americans, we cry out that black lives matter. When we see the gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians on any measure you could really imagine, whether it's child mortality or life expectancy or overrepresentation in our prison systems or education and health outcomes, we realise that there's something that's not right in our own backyard. And when we see children that are born into systematic generational cycles of poverty and slavery, we know that there's something wrong. And why is this? Well, it's because we believe that all people are made in the image of God, that all of us are worthy of the same dignity and respect, regardless of your race or your gender or your religion, your sexuality, your class or your capacity, everyone matters, and especially the most vulnerable, especially the poor, the sick, the disabled, the unborn, the elderly, the homeless. Now, you might think, come on, Brad, that's, that's just self-evident in our modern secular society, which values equality and freedom. But where did we get those values from? They're a legacy of the Judeo-Christian worldview and this idea of the image of God. And they've actually, this value of the image of God, it actually appears in our global society in the concept of universal human rights. Everyone matters to God because all of us have been made in his image. Now, how do you think God feels when someone mistreats someone that he has made and is precious to him? Now, think about, think about it in your own life. How would you feel if someone damaged something that you love? You know, if someone threw red wine on your favorite dress or someone knocked over and smashed a family heirloom or someone crashed into your car. Whenever something we value is damaged or destroyed, we get upset. And how much more true is that for people over property? You know, if your kid is bullied in school, if your sister gets unfairly made redundant, if your partner is unfairly treated because of their skin colour, we get angry, and rightly so, because it's not right. And it's the same for God. God hates it. He hates seeing what he loves get damaged or destroyed. We see here in the Bible that God's heart is full of love and justice and compassion for the people that he has made. And we see God's heart enshrined in the laws that he gives to his people. There's so many that we could go through in the Old Testament legal system, um, but I've just got two for us. So first in Deuteronomy 15, God writes this uh, through Moses. If among you one of your brothers should become poor, don't harden your heart or 
shut your hand against your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. That's Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. And in Leviticus chapter 19, Moses writes this, When you reap your harvest, so this is an instruction for farmers, when you reap your harvest, don't write, write, don't, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Don't go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. And I wonder how we'd apply that principle to our own personal finances. What would it look like for us to not reap our budgets to the very edge of the field, but to leave a margin and an excess in our budgets uh, for the poor and the vulnerable? So we see God's just loving character enshrined in his laws to his people. But we also see God's just loving heart in his stinging rebukes to the leaders of his people when they oppress the weak and when they ignore the vulnerable. So consider the words of the prophet Ezekiel to Israel's leaders in Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel slams them. He says, woe to the shepherds, the leaders of Israel who only take care of themselves. Shouldn't shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the choice animals, but you don't take care of the flock. You haven't strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel. And Jesus continues this same line of rebuke to the religious leaders of his day when he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, you tithe your mint and your dill and your cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practised the latter without neglecting the former. Throughout scripture, we see a consistent picture of God's heart, that he is a God of compassion, a God of love, a God of justice, and he hates it when those made in his image are mistreated. And this is foundational for us in our discipleship journey as we seek to grow as people of love and compassion. We need to encounter God's character, understand his heart, because God wants us to be like him. Well, the climax of the biblical story is when God steps in onto the stage of history in the person of his son, Jesus. And through Jesus, God acts decisively to write all that is wrong with our broken world, to bring freedom and justice for the oppressed and to deliver us from evil. And in Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus give a manifesto for his kingdom mission. So we're going to have a quick look at that together. Luke chapter 4, if you'd like to open it up. So Jesus, this is right at the start of his ministry. And he's going around preaching and teaching in the synagogues. and Everyone's amazed, going, who is this new teacher? And he goes to his hometown. Of Nazareth, and he walks in there on the Sabbath, and he's given the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus finds the spot, which we know is Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, and he reads this Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And Jesus rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, and he sits down and everyone's eyes are fixed on him. 
and the air is thick with anticipation. And Jesus declares, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus uses this prophecy from Isaiah, written 600 years beforehand when Israel was in exile in Babylon, in Babylon under the oppressive rule of the Babylonian Empire. Jesus uses this prophecy, this story, these categories of exile to interpret his own kingdom manifesto. You see, the hope of Isaiah in this prophecy was that God would raise up a spirit-empowered servant who would liberate Israel from the oppressive rule of the Babylonian Empire. But Jesus broadens the horizon of this prophecy and shows that what it's ultimately pointing towards is a king who would bring liberation to humanity from the oppressive rule of sin. Now, throughout history, very sadly, we've seen the oppressive rule of of tyrants uh, in many nations and governments and kingdoms who oppress the vulnerable to consolidate their power, who line their own pockets with wealth at the expense of the poor, who use violence to crush any opposition. And there's many dictators and oppressive rulers in our world today. My mind thinks of the North Korean ruler, Kim Jong-un, and in North Korea, he's restricted all civil and political liberties. He maintains his control of the country through terror, through public executions and torture and prison camps, forced abortions, and there's many other oppressive rulers that we could talk about. But when we think about Kim Jong-un, North Korea, Syria, Sudan, Zimbabwe, our world is crying out for a king who will bring justice and liberation from oppression. Jesus is saying that he is that liberating king. He is the one who appears on the scene in first century Palestine preaching good news to the poor, that he's bringing the kingdom of God and that through him there will come a great reversal where the first, the oppressive rulers, all who think they're really important are going to be last and the last, the poor, the weak, the vulnerable, will be lifted up as the first. Jesus is the liberating king who brings justice for the oppressed freedom for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind. Jesus is the liberating king who proclaims the year of the Lord's favour, which is a reference to the Old Testament festival of the year of Jubilee, which was celebrated every 50 years uh, as a release. And in that 50th year, uh, everyone's debts, would they'd be free from their debts. Jesus is saying that all of these prophetic expectations are fulfilled in him that he is the spirit-empowered servant of the Lord that Isaiah was looking forward to, who is bringing the kingdom of God. We see in Jesus' life and ministry his compassion for the poor as he leaves the riches of heaven and identifies with, with the poor and homeless and sick. We see him heal the sick, heal the blind, preach the kingdom of God, and we ultimately see him die to set us free from sin and death. Through his resurrection, he shatters the power of sin and death and darkness and he brings us into the true year of Jubilee, a new age of liberation and life that will be brought to completion at the end of history when Jesus finally makes all things right. Jesus is the liberating king that our world needs and is looking for. And Jesus is continuing his liberating work through his church today. 
The church of Jesus is a signpost to his kingdom. We're meant to showcase his love and compassion and justice. And that's why Christians have always been at the forefront of education and healthcare and social reform throughout history. It's because we love because he first loved us. We believe that the church is always at its best when we're engaged in loving our neighbor and seeking the common good. And we already see this on display in so many incredible ways in the life of our church community. There's some incredible stories of everyday generosity in our gospel communities and just in our everyday church life. But today on Compassion Sunday, we celebrated on display in our generosity in releasing hundreds of children from poverty in Jesus' name in partnership with Compassion. And so today is an opportunity for us to pause and kind of stock take our lives and consider what does it look like for us to play our part in Jesus' liberating work of releasing the captives, bringing justice to the oppressed, loving the poor? What will it look like for you to live a life of open-handed generosity? What has God given you? And how can you use that not to kind of build your own kingdom, but to bless others? You can't do everything, but you also can't do nothing. Today, we have an opportunity to take a simple step of releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Compassion has put before us 35 children in the Philippines and is prayerfully asking us, well, they're asking us to pray as a community about how we can partner with them to release them from poverty by giving them access to food and healthcare and education so that we can break the cycle of poverty in their lives. And so right now, I wanna invite you to get your phones out. Like actually get it out of your pocket right now. I'm not joking, get it out. Let's get this link up together and have a look at the 35 kids that are before us. In our church at home groups, we're gonna be praying for these guys. I'm gonna type it in my phone right now, I'm serious. I want you to get your phones out. The link is sponsor compassion. I'm typing it in right now, are you doing that too? Dot online, I did a typo. Sponsor compassion dot online forward slash anchor. And that's gonna bring up 35 kids at our partner projects in the Philippines that we're, we're, we wanna pray about today, about how we can release them from poverty in Jesus' name. On my phone, I'm seeing Princess, who's one year old in the Philippines, and Wolverine, what a name, a little boy that's nine years old. Today, as a church community, we have the opportunity to make a real difference in these children's lives. And for some of you, that might be giving in this way for the very first time. And I want to remind you that Jesus says that it is more blessed to give than receive, that our joy is found not in hoarding resources, but in letting them flow through our hands to bless others. So for some of you, it might mean giving for the first time. For some of you today, it might be sponsoring a second or a third or a tenth sponsor child. For others of you, today might be just a nudge to write to your sponsor child and to remember that uh, our partnership with Compassion and our sponsorship isn't just a financial transaction, but it's about a relationship with these children as we point them to the love of God in Jesus. Together, we can make a real difference for some of the world's most vulnerable people. So will you join us in the joy of giving and taking part in the work that Jesus is continuing to do today through his church of liberating the captives, of releasing people from poverty? Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you for your heart of compassion, your heart of love and justice for all people that are made in your image, especially for the most poor and vulnerable people that we see around us. We thank you for how you've acted through your son Jesus to to liberate the captives, to break the power of sin and death and darkness that rules over our world and to bring in a new age of freedom and life. And Father, we, we ask that you would continue to change us now, that as we experience your love, as we experience your grace, that it would change us, that we would love as we have first been loved. And so we commit these 35 kids to you today for Princess and Wolverine and all the others. Father, as we look at their faces, we're struck by their situation, uh, their need, and we realise that we can do something to help them. And so raise up amongst us today uh, people that will step into their lives uh, to love them, to bless them, to give them the food and education and health care um, and the love of Christ uh, that will change their lives and break this cycle of poverty. We ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.